0: Go ahead and open up in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 9. That song we just sang has just been rolling around in my head this whole past week. Almighty God, in every way, you are above and beyond understanding. And that concept is all over in this passage that we're about to dive into. So just hang on to those lyrics. We're real intentional with what words we, we choose to sing, what songs we pick. And, and that song in particular really just connects with where we're headed this morning. This summer, I got a really cool opportunity... And got to go with my dad and my oldest, Micah, to Alaska for 10 days. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing trip. I had never been before. Uh, neither had Micah. I think I got to Alaska a couple seconds before him because I was sitting in a seat further ahead of him in the plane. But outside of that, like we got there at the same time. When you think of Alaska... If you've never been there, you might think, as I did, about what it was going to be like. Cold, snow-capped mountains, glaciers, and it was. It was cold. There were snow-capped mountains. There were glaciers. This was an amazing, amazing glacier. We got to get right up to it, about a mile wide, about 800 feet high, just phenomenal So yes, that's a part of what Alaska is. But the thing that blew me away about Alaska was how diverse it was. Because yes, there's snow-capped mountains. Yes, there's glaciers. But this is Alaska. This is Alaska. This is Alaska. This is Alaska at 2 a.m., mind you. This is Alaska. This is Alaska. This is Alaska. How many, how many of you knew that there were sand dunes in Alaska? Sand dunes, one. Yeah. <laughs> sand dunes in Alaska. This is Alaska. It surprised me. And whenever anyone would ask, hey, how was your trip to Alaska? This is what I would talk about. Because I was expecting Alaska to be one way. And it was. But it was so much more than that. Alaska was way more than what I expected it to be. People do the same with God. They think that God is one way. And then they discover more. They find out something else about God. This can be really, really beautiful. Hopefully as you're growing in your relationship with God, you're continuing to be surprised by him and to learn more about him. And the amazing part is that God is vast enough that you can spend the rest of your life getting to know him and there will always be more to discover. But this can also be problematic because we can come to understand what we think we know about God and say, this is who he is. It's like we're putting him in this box. Say, God fits in here and in here, and these are the boundaries of who God is. And though we may not do it intentionally, we oftentimes will. And then we come up against something that doesn't fit into that box. And we react in a few different ways. Maybe we grow the box. Oh, now I get it. God is so much bigger. Look, my box was this size and now it's this size. We grow the box. But there's still a box there. Or maybe we'll do uh, what I call compression Christianity. Trying to take a certain top topic and squish it into the God box. I'm going to make this fit. Because God belongs in here. And so this other thing, I'm going to squish it in. Or people will react by doing what I call scissor Christianity. So taking the pieces of God that they like. And then if something like doesn't fit... With what they know God to be, they just cut it out. No, 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 we're, we're going to remove this part. Snip, 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 and we're just going to throw it away. So that God gets to be just what I want him to be. But all of these are obviously flawed ways of dealing with coming across God in, in ways that you might not understand. The best way to approach difficult ideas about God is to recognize your place. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God, us. And yes, even taller than me. Hard to believe, right? In Ecclesiastes 5, it says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. When we come across an aspect of God that doesn't fit into our box. We need to recognize our place. Now, what this doesn't mean is uh, taking a defeatist or apathetic attitude. Oh, well, I can't totally understand it, so I'm not even going to bother trying to understand God. Uh, I came across something difficult, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to bother like trying to get into it or understand it or try to figure him out, because I I just can't understand it. No, absolutely not. In fact, in Jeremiah 9, uh, verse 23, it says this, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who And then he goes on and talks about his qualities. Who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. See, we know his character. And we're called to know it and to understand it. We know what scripture says. Does God have steadfast love? Yes, we know that. Is God just? Yes, we know that. Is God righteous? Yes, we know these things because they're in Scripture and we can be confident in those. But sometimes we don't know how it all fits together or why he does some of the things that seem to contradict with his character. Now, that doesn't mean that God is unknowable. Quite the contrary. He's revealed himself through scripture. But what this does mean when we come across these difficult things is being okay with not understanding it all. Yes, we can know his character. We can know who he is. But sometimes the pieces don't fit and it's okay to not understand it. See, God is beyond what we can understand. And that's such a good thing. Being able to fully understand God makes him really small. It doesn't make him God. I want a God that I have to trust. But more than that, this is what the Bible says about our God. The scriptures we just read, the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. God is in heaven and you are on earth. These scriptures point to this fact. And when we're okay with not understanding God fully, that totally shifts our approach to difficult questions, like the ones Kel tossed out last week. He tossed out difficult questions. How can God punish people for their sins, yet still keep his promise to save them? If someone continues to rebel against God, is there a point of no return beyond which repentance is impossible? Does God ever say to his faithful intercessors, stop praying about this because I've made up my mind? Let me just answer that last one. The answer is yes. Does God ever say to his faithful intercessors, stop praying about this because I've made up my mind? Yep, he does. How do I know? It says so in the Bible. Why does he do that? Boy, that's a tough question. But I know the answer, and and. It, it, I don't have to get to the conclusion of how that all fits together because I have, it, it's okay. It's okay to not fully understand how this all fits together sometimes, but we can answer some of these questions with a little bit more confidence because we just point back to scripture and let that speak instead of us. We're continuing in our series on Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And today in our passage, which is a big one, uh, we're gonna look at a God that is beyond our understanding. As I read through this passage time after time after time, I just kept seeing this pop up. And so I said, I I wanna talk about this topic with you guys. We're gonna see how both the nation of Judah and Jeremiah dealt with this. And we're gonna look at some aspects of God that are beyond understanding, but are still true because they're in the Bible. Now in Jeremiah, as we've been going through, we've been looking at these four themes uh, that are on the logo. Lament, faithfulness, judgment, and hope. And I'm going to point out these as we go through this passage. Now, like I said, this is a big chunk of scripture that we're looking at today. Chapters 9 all the way through 25. So we're not going to get to every verse. Shocker, right? Uh, Or or even every topic in this passage. There are some questions uh, on the back of your handout. Uh, that are going to get into some of these topics, and there's some that are just going to be left to you to dive into, into on your own and discover. This is the beauty of Scripture. As you continue to read it, you continue to find more and more and more. But we are going to be reading a lot of Scripture today and allowing Scripture to speak loudly. Let me pray, and we'll dive on in. God, it's your words and not mine that we want to hear. It's your truths. It's your voice that we need to guide us, direct us, show us where we need to go, help us understand more about you. But, God, also to recognize our place. You are in heaven and I am on earth. So let my words be few. God, I want to just be dialed in to what you have to say today. So speak loudly to us. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to dive into it together as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, yes, we can read it on our own, but, but to be together and to do this together is such a beautiful thing and such a privilege as well. So thank you so much for that. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I know some of you like to fill in blanks. uh, So there's plenty of blanks for you to fill in today. And here comes number one. As we're looking at a God that is beyond our understanding, throughout this passage, we see Judah's failures. The book of Jeremiah is a really tough read. It's a depressing book. Just being honest. <laughs> it really is. It's a, it's a bummer for us to sit and read and go, Judah, like, what happened? But it must have been way worse for them to be reading this. Because remember, the nation of Judah got the book of Jeremiah as they're sitting in exile, reading what Jeremiah had just told them right as they were about to head into exile. Hey, you, you gotta stop what you're doing or you're gonna be sent into exile. Stop what you're doing or you're gonna be sent into exile. And then off they go into exile and here comes, you know, these words that Jeremiah spoke to them. Yo, know, it's almost like having to read back your awful report card while you're sitting in summer school. Oh man, like why didn't I get this beforehand? I just, ouch. You know, sitting and reading this. In Jeremiah chapter 11, uh, which you can read as we're talking about it, there's a quick overview, uh, especially verses 6 to 12, uh, a quick overview of what's going on. Basically what I just said uh, is that the nation of Judah is, is walking in a way that they shouldn't. They're worshiping other gods. They're headed in a a wrong direction. They're disobeying the commandments that God has given them. And so God has said, because you continue to disobey, I'm going to send you into exile. And there are two ways in this passage, chapters 9 through 25, that Judah failed. And the first is idolatry. Idolatry is mentioned all over in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. But here in Jeremiah chapter 11, we see that they're worshiping other gods. But we get a little more insight in chapter 10, and so we're going to read uh, a little bit of chapter 10. Chapter 10, starting in verse 11. Thus you shall say to them, The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Those are the idols that they're worshiping. (laughs) Then Jeremiah starts talking about God. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the earth rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these, is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. What a comparison, right? Let's take time and look at the difference between your little gods that you built and the God who created everything. There's no comparison. So the question is just sitting right there. If this God is so amazing, then why are they worshiping these other gods? We get an answer to that just a few verses earlier, starting in verse 3 of chapter 10. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Great gods you're worshiping, Judah. They can't move, they can't speak, they can't walk, they can't do evil or good. But if you stop and think about it, this is a God that appeals to a lot of people. Because a God that can't move isn't going to take off on you or seem absent. A God that can't speak won't tell you what you don't want to hear. A God that can't do evil won't hurt you or lead you in a way that you don't want to go. See, for Judah, God was beyond what they wanted him to be. So they made a God that fit their desires. God was beyond what they wanted, them, wanted him to be. So I'm going to build this God. And this God is going to fit what I need him to be. So Judah's first failure was idolatry. And Judah's second failure was their false prophets. We learn a little bit about the false prophets in this passage in chapters 14 and 23. It's all throughout the rest of Jeremiah as well. But flip over to chapter 14. Starting in verse 13. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. Gotcha. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. See, the people didn't like what Jeremiah was saying. You're not obeying God, and so God is going to take you into exile. Yeah, I don't like that. Let's find another prophet. Someone that's going to say something that's going to make us smile and make us feel all good inside. Right? And so they started listening to these false prophets. Now, this is the message I like to hear. What did they say? Look again in our passage. You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. That's a message I can get on board with. I like it. Sword and famine shall not come upon this land. Ha, ha, Jeremiah, I'm hearing what I want to hear. They found prophets. Yes prophets in a sense, right? Like, yes men, yes prophets. Yes, tell me what I want to hear. That's what I like. So they were excited about it. But the sad thing is it gets even worse. Not only are there these yes prophets, but there are more evil prophets. Flip over to chapter 23. <sighs> Chapter 23, starting in verse 13. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me, and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Remember, these are cities that God utterly destroyed because of their evil and vileness. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Listen to this. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. These prophets are looking at where people are at, finding the ones that are lost, and making sure they stay lost. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. Look again at verse 14. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. This makes my skin crawl. They were intentionally doing this. We're going to keep these people in their wickedness and in their sin. Now, how could the people of Judah have told the difference? between these false prophets and the true prophets. Right? Because here these prophets are and they're standing up and saying, hey, guess what? No judgment. No harm. You're doing great. Keep it up. Everything's going to be fine and dandy. And then there's other prophets that are standing up there, like Jeremiah, and saying, disaster's coming. Exile's coming. You've blown it. How did they decide which one to listen to and which one not. Well, one of the ways is by the way that these prophets lived their lives. Look again at verse 14 of chapter 23. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They weren't living in the way that God had called them to. And so that screams, false prophet, false prophet. These people aren't walking the way that God wants them to walk. Don't listen to them. What about us? What about our failures? Now Judah wrestled with idolatry making a God that fit their desires. Do you do the same? Do you twist God into what you want him to be? Judah had false prophets around, telling the people what they wanted to hear. Do you do the same? Do you surround yourself with yes men? Coming back to this question, how do you spot a false prophet or a false teacher? Now, thankfully, we have an added benefit. We've got the Bible. What's this person saying? Is what they're saying, does it line up with Scripture? If it doesn't, hey, guess what? False prophet, false teacher, don't listen to them. Right? But in the same way that the nation of Judah should have been able to spot false prophets by the way that they lived their lives, we should be able to do the same thing. Look at how people are living their lives. Do they grieve over their sin? Are they repentant? or Are they running in a direction, gladly, that God doesn't want them to be going? Guess what? False prophet. False teacher. This is why those elder qualifications are so important in 1 Timothy and in Titus. It speaks to the character of a person. Look at these people. That are teaching, that are leading. Far be it from any of us to look down on Judah with superiority or shame. How could Judah do that? Idolatry? Listening to false prophets? It's not that far of a jump for us. Idolatry? Well, I want a God that entertains me, so I'm going to worship TV to worship my smartphone. We might not say that out loud, but our actions might point us there. Or maybe you've heard someone say this, "Well, I thought God was all loving. How could he say that this person is living in sin or is going to hell? So then we make a God that doesn't do that, and we worship that God. No, no no, that's not mine. My God sends everybody to heaven. That's idolatry. What about false prophets? Well, I don't like what this church is saying, so I'm just going to go find another church. Now, granted, we should carefully listen to what teachers are saying. And if something sounds off, we should question it. We should always be on guard, carefully monitoring and listening. I welcome that and invite that, please. But if something from God's word rubs you the wrong way, from God's word. The worst thing you could do is to go find a place where it won't be brought up. Well, I, I don't like talking about the wrath of God. That makes me uncomfortable. So I'm going to go find a church that doesn't really bring that up. No. That's a part of who God is. I'm sure that Judah never thought that they would get to this point. Idolatry. False prophets. False prophets. It wasn't this immediate thing. One day, God, yes, we're following after you. Next day, eh, let's change it up a little bit. No, not at all. But it was a slow decline. And it's easy to see, looking around at our society, at our morals and ethics, just our culture is in this decline. Look at what was acceptable and tolerated 50 years ago versus what's acceptable and tolerated now. And you can see that our culture is in a moral and ethical decline. So more than ever before, we need to be on our guard as believers to stand up for what scripture says, to not slip into that or allow ourselves to get pushed in a direction that we shouldn't be going. We have to be careful as the body of Christ not to waver or relax what the Bible says. Now because of Judah's continual sin, they incurred judgment. And judgment is one of the four themes that we're focused on in Jeremiah. And Almost the whole book talks about this judgment. Like I said, not the happiest book to read. You'd be hard-pressed to find a chapter that doesn't mention it at least a little bit. Now in chapter 25, we get a concise summary of Judah's judgment. Uh, And and it basically just talks about the fact that, look, Judah, you've blown it. You've continually blown it. So here's what's going to happen nation from the north, talking about Babylon, is going to come and is going to take you and is going to take you away into exile. So here comes Judah's judgment. But remember, we're talking about this idea that God is beyond our understanding. And Judah's judgment points to this because it raises questions that people wrestle with sometimes. Questions like, how could God Bring judgment. How could God wipe out people? How could God not listen to the people's repentance or cries for forgiveness? These are questions that people wrestle with. How could God bring judgment, oftentimes is asked by someone that views God as all-loving? Ah, God's all-loving. He would never judge somebody. Unfortunately, they're missing like huge chunks of scripture. Big time scissor Christianity. I mean, almost like cutting board. Is that right? Cutting board? Yeah, whatever. I don't know. Paper cutter. There it is. Even better. Paper cutter Christianity. We're going to chop out this whole section. They're ignoring even the words of Jesus. A lot of people look at Jesus. Oh, Jesus is all loving. No, 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 no. Remember when he talked about the sheep and the goats? He talked very clearly about the fact that, yes, like these are going to be entered into my eternal rest, but these are going to be entered into judgment. How could God bring judgment? Well, Scripture says he's going to. How could God wipe out people? God addresses this question in Jeremiah. Flip over to Jeremiah 18. There's six different uh, illustrations that God uses in these chapters to convey different messages. And in chapter 18, he uses one the, the potter and the clay. And he says, uh, So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good for the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me O house of Israel! Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Here God is telling Judah simply to recognize his sovereignty. How could God wipe out people? Look, God is sovereign. And again, we know his ways are bigger than our ways his thoughts bigger than our thoughts how about the question how could god not listen to the people's repentance or cries for forgiveness now i know this is small text and it's going to be hard for some of you to read but there's a lot of verses that speak to this. Let me re- read just a couple. Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 6 says, You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep going backward. So I have stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I am weary Of relenting. Now, isolated, these verses can look bad. They make God out to be someone that doesn't care. I am not going to listen to my people, I am not going to forgive. Now, we know, though, that God forgives. We know that God restores. We know that he has plans to restore the nation of Judah. We have scripture that speaks to this. We also know that God is holy. We know that he can't stand sin. We know that the wages of sin is death. So, this is how I've put this together. And I may be right, I may be wrong. God knows that his people need to incur the consequences of their sin. So, yes, he's going to forgive them, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. But they will also be disciplined. We all get this because we've all done this as parents or been recipients of this as children. Even though there's an apology for wrongdoing, the discipline is still handed out. And so here I see a God that's dealing with kids, his children that are coming and apologizing for wrongdoing. And he's still handing out that discipline. Now, yes, there is restoration coming. Yes, there is hope coming, but he is not relenting on the discipline that's coming. Now, Granted, I could be totally wrong, and the way that God balances justice and grace could be very different from my understanding of it. Regardless, this is true of God, because this is what Scripture says. God is beyond our understanding. How could he say that? I don't know, but he did. And that is our God. Okay, let's get to some good news because we've been talking about judgment and failure. (laughs) Let's talk about Jeremiah's faithfulness. This, again, is one of the four themes that we're looking at in Jeremiah, uh, is faithfulness. Over and over through the book of Jeremiah, you'll, you'll read, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, you shall say to them, In chapter 25, we find out that for 23 years, Jeremiah was faithful to his calling. Coming back to the people for 23 years, God says, Jeremiah, go say to them, and off goes Jeremiah. God says, hey, tell the people this, and off goes Jeremiah. And he's doing it faithfully over and over and over again. And as he's doing that, and we talked about this earlier uh, in our series on Jeremiah that, that he wasn 't received well, he was persecuted, he was beaten, he was thrown in stocks, he was kidnapped, on and on it goes. And he gripes about it too. <laughs> in our passage in chapters 12, 15, 17, and 20, we see lament from Jeremiah as he's complaining about they're, they're continuing. To to pester me, I'm continually being persecuted. Let's look in chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, Where's the word of the Lord? Let it come. I have not run away. From being your shepherd. Nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips, it was before your face. Be not a terror to me, for you are my refuge in the day of disaster. Some of us sometimes desire the day of sickness. Oh, I don't want to go into work today. Right? Or, oh, I don't want to have that conversation. I'm sick, so I can't. God, please let me wake up sick tomorrow. I just don't want to come in. Jeremiah has every reason to want to have a sick day. But he says, Nor have I desired the day of sickness. I love his honesty. He's tired of being persecuted, but he's not giving up. He's continuing on. Look at this. I have not run away from being your shepherd. And later he says, you are my refuge in the day of disaster. Where this points to a God who is beyond our understanding is the reason why Jeremiah would continue through all this persecution. Why does Jeremiah keep going? He has a firm foundation. See, God is bigger than anything Jeremiah would face. And Jeremiah knows that. So he confidently leans on God as his firm foundation. Three weeks ago, we talked about the firm foundation that God gave to Jeremiah in chapter 1. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I have appointed you, Jeremiah. I have put my words in your mouth. Twice he says to Jeremiah, I am with you. And this is where Jeremiah starts his ministry. This is the foundation that God gives him. So Jeremiah knows that God is his refuge. And so because of that, he will continue on. His foundation is strong enough to hold him up when disaster comes. How strong is your foundation? Are you resting solely on God? Or are you trying to lean on something else? When disaster comes, are you going to run away from being a shepherd? Or are you going to remain faithful? God is beyond Judah's understanding. So they make idols and lies to create gods they wanted. God is beyond Judah's understanding and ours. He is still God even when things happen in ways that don't make sense to us. God is beyond what we could imagine. He is a firm foundation that will hold us up when disaster comes. And God is beyond understanding in that as He is punishing a nation that has run from Him, He still promises hope. This is the last of the four themes we're focusing on in Jeremiah. And in this passage, uh, this is the first time a clearly spelled out hope is mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. We see it in chapters 16, 23, and 24. Flip over to chapter 16. Jeremiah 16. First of all, verses 10 through 13, well actually verse 1 through 13, just talks about the judgment that's coming. But then we pick it up in verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. For I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. And then in 16 to 18, he talks about the judgment that's coming again. And then in 19 to 20, there's some praise towards God. And look at verse 21. Therefore, behold, I will make them know. This once I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Imagine hearing this sitting in exile. Knowing that you've blown it. Knowing that... Judgment has come. And then you hear, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. The salvation of the Israelites from Babylonian captivity will be so much greater than the Exodus from Egypt that it will be referenced over the uh, Egyptian Exodus. That's what we see in these verses. This is a God that is beyond our comprehension. Or understanding. In the same breath, he talks about judgment and he talks about hope. Now, as you read this, this should change a few things for you. It should change how you view any judgment or condemnation towards someone else. Do I have a heart of restoration? His God talks about judgment, he also talks about hope, and he talks about restoration. It should also change how I receive discipline. I should know that god 's heart is for my restoration, so when i 'm sitting under discipline, when i 'm going through something like that, I should know and be confident in the fact that God desires my restoration <coughs> But God doesn't stop at offering the hope of restoration to their land and restoration of a relationship with him. He offers even more hope. Flip over to chapter 23. And this is where we're going to end. Chapter 23, starting in verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. These are these false prophets that we've been reading about. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. You guys catch who that it's about? Jesus. See, God promises good shepherds to come in, and then he promises them the shepherd the shepherd that they've been promised for hundreds of years. See, the original readers would not have totally understood the implications of this coming Messiah, but they would have known the other promises of this Messiah and seen that God is not turning back on his promises, but rather following through on them. Here they're sitting in exile knowing that they've blown it but then to get to here, no, I haven't forgotten. Yes, I'm still sending you the Messiah. See, we're able to understand at a deeper level. We see here the ultimate promise of hope. For all hope is found in Jesus The ultimate hope anyone should lean on is the God who humbled himself and came to earth to communicate his love for us in a tangible way. This is a God that is far beyond any true depth of understanding. For though we understand what he did for us, we may never fully understand why. Why would God empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why he did that for us, I don't know. I don't understand. But I'm glad he did. He did that for you. I'm going to have the band come up. So read a verse we all know well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now I know most of you are here because you believe this. Because your life has been forever changed because of this. But maybe there's someone here who hasn't yet put their trust in Jesus. Who hasn't yet believed. If that's you and you want to know more, I'd I'd love to talk to you about that. Jesus... Is our only hope. God promised He would send His Son thousands of years ago. He followed through on that promise. And He will continue to follow through on His promises, including this one. Eternal life is available to you, hope is available to you, all from the God. That is truly beyond our understanding. God, thank you for being so vast that I need not just one lifetime, but I need eternity to get to know you. God, I'm thankful for your word and the opportunity that I have to be able to dive into it to read it to get to know you more to get to understand you more but God thank you for being beyond my understanding for being God and God I pray that as I come up against things that don't make sense that I'll dive into them and try to understand as best I can But God, that I'll also be okay not understanding at all. What can I come to know and to understand about you? How could I ever get to the point of trying to say that I've got you figured out? Because I don't. Thank you for being that God.